I'm going to do something that uh, is maybe a little bit out of keeping with my normal perspective that I bring, possibly at least. And that is I'm going to talk about, in this series of insights from the gospel, I'm going to talk about women in the gospel. So um, it's interesting to note how prominent women are in the gospel accounts. If you do a little search in the uh, olive tree on women and woman, uh, it comes up 80, you get 87 hits, very frequently mentioned. Dr. Anderson says one of the reasons Christianity spread like wildfire in the ancient world is because it was really the only thing around that gave a prominent place for women. Um, in uh, subsistence societies and tribal culture, uh, physical power is the dominant, really, uh, thing. And women didn't have that great of a, great of a uh, place. Just give you an example of the high value of women in the gospel that Jesus, from Jesus' perspective, versus what was typical at the time. Let's look at the first two instances of uh, a woman in uh, Scripture. Look at Matthew 5 with me. Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard it said, Matthew 5, 27, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You should not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Look at verse 31. Skip down to verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Now, what perspective are those two verses uh, taking? What perspective do you see? Who's mainly addressed to? It's mainly addressed to the man, isn't it? Okay. If you have in your heart you've committed adultery, if you divorce for any reason other than, then you've caused her to commit adultery. Well, in this particular uh, time that he's speaking this into, adultery was really something women just did. Um, let's just take a look at uh, John chapter 8. And I think we can see this. John chapter 8. Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now if she was caught in the very act, what is obvious? Uh, There was a a man involved too, right? Did they stab him? Okay, you see, you see the perspective here? We caught this woman in the very act. You'll also note that when um, Jesus talks about divorce, He talks about it from the standpoint of the hardness of your heart because you're divorcing women for no good reason. 
Because as I understand, as I've been told, I don't have this from the Bible, but I've been told that the, the custom was a man could basically divorce a woman just because she burned the dinner or something, or you're ugly now, you're old and ugly. Uh, and uh, so there was this kind of, you have to give them a certificate of divorce and then you have to kind of provide for their financial needs in some minimal way or something like that. But it's basically just the men could do whatever they want to. And Jesus attacks that fairly rigorously. Well, if you're a woman and you're hearing all these things, this is like new news. This is a, this is a completely new approach and incredibly empowering. Because God cares for me, I'm not a, you know, sub, I'm not a, uh, a lower creature. Of course, you, you know what Jesus did with this woman caught in adultery. He basically said, uh, who, he who is out sin cast the first stone. Of course, he's already taught if you have lust in your heart, you committed adultery too. And everybody wanders away, of course. It's interesting, though, he doesn't say, uh, well, where's the man? What he does is he just attacks the root of the problem, which is a heart problem. So you can see, you can see here Jesus uh, focusing on women on a, on a, basically on a peer basis. And the scripture of the Gospels is it's elevating the place of the woman to the image of God. You know, Herman teaches, I think, very articulately that a, a marriage, the purpose of a marriage is to show the image of God. Uh, in the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he made them. So when you have the maleness and the femaleness come together in unity, it's the image of God. Because everything's derivative of God. God is nurturing, and he's birthing, he's creator. He is a helper in time of need. All, all those things are uh, f- female characteristics. He's also powerful. And he's accomplishing, and he's um, uh, power. He's he's everything that males care about. <clears throat> but God is both of those things, and you see, in the manifestation of the Trinity, you sort of see a, a Father, Son, and Spirit. You've got the Father, the the, the benevolent uh, provider, and you've got the Son, who's the conquering King, and the suffering servant, and you've got the Spirit, who's the enabler and the helper. You got all those three things there. So this is a, this is something kind of new to this world, and um, un, un, really would would have been unbelievable to the people at that time. It's very ironic that in our era, Christianity has been uh, has been successfully branded by the enemy. I would say as <clears throat> that thing which suppresses women. When historically it's totally the opposite. For us to accept that even for a moment, we, we, sh- we should, is crazy on our part. It's absolutely not the case. So, what we're going to do then is just <clears throat> with this background, we're going to look at three women. And we're going to look at three Marys this morning. Now, <clears throat> it seems like in the scripture there's two kinds of women uh, unnamed women and women named Mary. It's just unbelievable how many Marys there are. I'm going to pick three of the Marys. And I started wondering, why Mary? Why why is everybody named Mary? Uh, There were no pop stars at that time, so I don't know. uh, Why is everybody named Mary? Well, one source I read said that Mary is kind of the New Testament version of Miriam. 
So, before we go into the three Marys, let's just look at Miriam for a minute, and, and let's postulate perhaps it's a biblical name. And this is a very uh, this this northern area, Galilee, was extremely biblically astute. By the time you're 15 years old, if you're a male, you've memorized the entire Bible. If you're a female, you've memorized a lot of it. Uh, so, you know, let's just say that uh, they got this from the Bible. Why would they want to? Name everybody Miriam. Well, I, I, I saw something that was very uh, interesting to me. I never noticed before. Look at Micah chapter 6 with me. Micah chapter 6. And we're going to focus on verse 4. Uh, let's start with 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. And what what did I do to hurt you? Verse 4. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Isn't that interesting? You see a trinity there? Moses, the overall provider... Aaron, the mouthpiece. Miriam, the prophetess. Kind of interesting, I think. Well, what about Miriam? Uh, what do we know about Miriam? Look at, we actually, not much. There's two instances of Miriam. Look at, look at Exodus 15. Exodus 15, you've got the Song of Moses. And at the end of the Song of Moses, um, in verse 20... Chapter 15, verse 20. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. So we know she's a dance leader. And she got everybody in the whole nation to follow her dancing. Maybe she's the Titus II woman who's teaching the younger women, perhaps. But she's a prophetess. We also know in Numbers chapter 12 that um, if you'll turn with me there, I, whoop, 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 why is this, why is this happening? Excuse me while I fumble on my program here. Numbers chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Do you remember these, this, this a, a, a tripart government here that are all working together to lead? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has, Lord, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So you see here that God is speaking through Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron, the, uh, the, the, the voice of Moses, as well as Moses. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out here, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So we have a managerial moment of truth here that's going to happen among the leaders. And so the three came out, and the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and, Mir- Aaron and Miriam. They both went forward. He said, Now hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. 
even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord, then why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from the above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we've done foolishly and we've sinned. Please don't let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed. So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, Please heal her, God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp, as a leper would be, seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. Isn't that interesting? Well, the root words of Miriam means rebel. It's kind of fascinating. Here she is, a leader of the nation and a prophetess, but the root word is rebel. And you can see here she rebelled against Moses in this particular case. Maybe it's kind of the main, main hook she, we have for what her life is like. But again, it's just really interesting. I think about what did these three Marys rebel against? How are these three Marys leading in showing us how to walk? So let's take a look at that. The first Mary we're going to look at is Mary the mom. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. You know, the, Mary, the angel comes and announces to Mary that she's going to have a baby. Let's start in verse 32. Uh, he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, now you're Mary here, and he says, I'm going to give you a son, and that son will have the throne of his father David. What are you thinking right now? His father David. Okay, fine. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now she understands it's the Messiah at this point in time. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Interesting here as a sidelight, this word know is gnosko. Gnosko is used to talk about us knowing God. The first time it shows up in the New Testament, it's talking about sexual intimacy. And it's this intimacy that creates oneness. Or it's supposed to be a manifestation of oneness. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. For indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the man made servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from him. This is basically the same thing Ruth said, which is, you know, one of the one of the uh, grandmothers of Jesus and David. So this amazing thing here, where uh, this angel obviously is offering her, offering her a scandal, that that had to be clear, uh, and is also going to offer her heartache. Let's just look over in two thirty three. This comes a little later. Uh, so they are now um, having the child baptized eight, eight days later. I, I think that's when it is, presented in the temple. Uh, days of her purification had been pre- uh, completed. 
The temple's not that far away there in Bethlehem. Joseph and his mother marveled at the things were spoken of. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your soul also. So Mary is offered a scandal and a, and a and heartache with her child. She, of course, later in life, apparently faces the loss of her husband, uh, Joseph. But she's also offered a legacy that what she's doing will be of immense value and will be remembered for all time. And we can see this in uh, Luke 1, verse 48, when she is reflecting on what has been uh, told to her. And she sings, she sings this song, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So how does Mary the mom show us how to walk? Well, it's pretty remarkable, don't you think? Today you're going to have scandal. Today you're going to have heartache. A sword's going to pierce your heart. But because you're willing to endure that faithfully, something amazing's going to happen. And you're going to be remembered for all time. Everybody's going to call you blessed. Now, for most of us, if we're given the alternative of pain now, happiness later, what do we usually do? Yeah, we usually we can always take the pain tomorrow, right? That's that's a normal human reaction. What was what was Mary's reaction? Whatever you want. If this is what you want for me, I'm ready for it. It's pretty awesome, don't you think? Can you see why God would elevate these people, these Marys, in the Scripture? It's giving us, just like Miriam was a prophetess and a leader and showed us the way, showed Israel the way, uh, good and bad. Mary is showing us the way to deal with circumstances, personal pain from other people, uh, personal pain in our families. You know, okay, God, if this is what you want, I'll do it. Well, let's go to another Mary. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we see Mary Magdalene, the financial donor. Luke chapter 8, Now it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. You ever wonder how Jesus' ministry with him and his twelve guys and all that, how they got food and and their provisions. They had a financial donor team. And there were a large number of them, but apparently the most prominent are these three women. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, 
the wife of Herod's steward. You know, Herod was a king, so this guy would have been a uh, a wealthy guy. And Susanna, we don't know anything about Susanna. We know Mary Magdalene is listed first in the financial donor list. And she was healed of seven demons. Now, I've been financial donor to a lot of things. And usually, if you're one of the top donors, you get invited to stuff. Don't know how that happens. They usually have like a special reception or something for the, for the biggest donors. And uh, you get special calls and things like that. I mean, they're, they're no dummy. It's, it's reciprocity, you know. Well, I would presume Mary Magdalene was probably the biggest donor. Now, Magdala is a town just a couple miles from uh, Capernaum. If you think in your mind the Sea of Galilee, you've got the North Shore there. That's where the, the Babylonian exile returned Babylonian Jews were with synagogues and, and cities and the Babylonian tradition where they really had become people of the book and substituted worship in the temple um, for worship in the temple they had substituted thinking and worshiping in their minds and the whole Talmudic tradition was born and the modern Jew was born I would say the thinking uh, uh, brilliant intellectual type approach and here they are up there, and there's four cities we know of. Uh, there's Bethsaida, Chorazin, uh, Capernaum, and Magdala. They're, they're now digging up Magdala. They found a lot of the ruins there. And Magdala was a seat of uh, zealotry. And just uh, about a generation later, there will be a naval battle on the Sea of Galilee between the zealots and the Romans. They actually took the Romans on out on the lake. And Mary is apparently a wealthy woman from there. Not only is she the first one listed in this list of donors, she gets another honor. Anybody think what it is, one of the great honors that she gets? Resurrection. What's, what does she get at the resurrection? She is the first one to be uh, addressed at the resurrection. Yeah, after the resurrection. Mary Magdala. Well, what was it she did? What, what was the big deal she did? We know she was healed as evil spirits. We know that she was uh, following Jesus around. So just think about it for a minute. You're a wealthy woman in a prominent town. Uh, what kind of life would you lead if you're a wealthy woman? What, what kind of life do most wealthy women lead? They do lunch a lot. They do lunch a lot. Watched it You've watched it, okay. Yeah, do lunch a lot. What other kinds of things do wealthy women do? Shop, shopping, lunching. They may volunteer a lot. They may volunteer a lot, yeah, to usually like, uh, heart, like digging and hoeing. and No, oh no, no. What kind of volunteering did they do? Set up functions. Yeah, fashion shows and yes, okay, fundraising things. Okay, good, we're doing wonderful. What kind of other thing do women, uh, wealthy women do? Attend meetings, okay, yes, attend any. What kind of meetings? Social meetings, yes, uh, do, uh, and usually having to do some kind of service or something like that. We get, you get the, what? Oh, they do go to the spas, have their nails done, have their, have their, we're describing your calendars, everybody, all the women in here right now, right? We're just, we're going through everything. We could, I could have just said, what do you do every day, couldn't I? So what is Mary doing? What is Mary doing? 
What does we see in chapter 8 here? What is happening in chapter 8 here, the first couple of, of verses? What's he doing? Look at chapter, verse 1. What's he doing? What is he? Traveling. traveling. How's he traveling? Walking. Walking where? City to city. With a big group. Do you think they go and they rent the local bed and breakfasts, all the bed and breakfasts every time they go? Or Maybe they do. If they do, Mary's paying for it. But Jesus says, I, look, I don't have a house. I, foxes have holes. I don't have a hole. So, I don't think this is a luxury tour. So what Mary's done is given up her comfort life, and she's following Jesus around. And instead of spending her money on you know, all this stuff, she's supporting all these guys, probably most of whom don't even appreciate it. That's kind of the way men are. Especially in this time, day and time. So what Mary did that shows us something about how to live is she did what the rich young ruler wouldn't do. She gave it all. You need it? Sure. And she's giving it away. There's not going to be any plaques. She's buying food. And she's buying provisions. All there is is a remembrance. We're talking about it 2,000 years later. We're talking about her. And when Jesus raises... He comes to see her first. She got this special donor treatment. That's pretty cool. I think, uh, wasn't it Mary that uh, went and grabbed him when she realized who he was? Isn't, isn't that Mary that does that? I should have looked at that. It's, I think it's one of the most humorous episodes in Scripture because uh, he sees there, and, and it's a time of great joy, of course. She's, she's there crying and all distraught because her Savior's dead, and suddenly she realizes it's, it's him and goes and grabs him. And he says, I hadn't risen yet. Let me go. I can't breathe. I'm not going back right now. You can let me go. I'm still. I'm still. <laughs> so you know, this is a lady that lives a life of joy, and her joy is in this relationship with this man who healed her, and who she never lost faith in. After she's told that I'm risen, she goes back and tells everybody he's alive, and they say, uh, "Got the demons back." Yeah. <laughs> So Mary, the mom, shows us scandal, heartache, because you have a chance to do something great for the kingdom, have a legacy. You will be called blessed by all people. Take it. Do, if that circumstance is what you want from me, I'll embrace it. Mary Magdala, I've got all this wealth. You need it? It's yours. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Town to town, whatever, whatever it takes. I'm going. Pretty awesome so far, don't you think? Well, there's another Mary that we can talk about. And this is the sitting at the feet Mary, the relational priority Mary, the I'm not going to focus on me Mary. So let's look, look at Luke chapter 10. Oh, that's not, that's not where I want to go. Sorry, John uh, chapter 11. John chapter 11. 
Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany's just a couple miles east of Jerusalem. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, now he's identifying which Mary. Why do you have to identify which Mary? So everybody's named Mary, right? If you're going to have a Mary, you're going to have a really long name Mary because you got to identify the Mary that has wives. So it was Mary that anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. You remember this episode? We're going to actually see it a little later. Whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love is sick. Then when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard they were, he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. How would you like to follow somebody that talked that way? (laughs) These things he said, and after that he said to him, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Now this is at the end of the three years. I I so love the disciples. I just wish that the noises like the whoop, 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 you know, was in in here because it was just would make it even come alive. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking plainly about taking rest and sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes I was not there, that you may believe. It's interesting how we always talk about belief as though it's believing Jesus is the Messiah. They did that a long time ago. Believing Jesus is actually in our daily circumstances is a lot harder. Don't you find that? I want you to, I want you to endure this challenge today. There'll be, there'll be great things tomorrow. Mm, that's pretty hard. Then Thomas, who's called the twin, I, I, I kind of think Thomas didn't laugh very much, said to his fellow disciples, let's go also that we may, we may die with him. Now, this is the way zealots talk. And what Dr. Anderson says, and I, I think he's right, is Jesus didn't pick the guys that kind of were the best rabbinical students. They would have already been somebody else's follower, some other rabbi's follower, and not available if he had. He picked guys that would die for the cause. And they all did except John. Well, even John did, just not at the hand of a sword. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Still is today. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary to her sister, saying, The teacher's coming is has calling for you. Now, whether he actually did or not is an interesting question. Um, it doesn't tell us he did, but let's, let's assume he did. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews were, who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary, rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And of course you know that he then raises Lazarus from the dead. Skip down to verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in Him. So you got Jews coming to Mary who was loved Jesus so much they come to Jesus through Mary. Go to chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, which would be about a year's wages, and given to the poor? Then he said that, not because he cared for the poor, because he's a thief and had the money box and used to would take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, me you do not always have. So you've got this woman who has developed this really intimate relationship with Jesus that radiates out to other people. And how did that, how did that actually come to be? Well, uh, let's look at Matthew 26, I think. My notes are telling me the right thing. Nope, that's not it. Well, I'm going to need some help. Where does uh, Mary, where does the uh, episode of Mary and Martha happen? Twelve. What is it? Twelve. Twelve. What? Which which book? Oh, John. John twelve. <coughs> that's when uh, that's when he says uh, Jesus is. That's when the Mary and Martha episode takes place. Luke 10. Okay, let's try Luke 10. Okay. 
There we go. Now it happened as they went and he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into the house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed and Mary's chosen the good part which will not be taken away from her. So what do you see there that is uh, something in the heart of Mary that uh, is, may, may have caused this whole other uh, episode of washing his feet and, and the intimacy with Jesus to take place? What do you see? My question not clear? What? Mary thinks it's more important to listen to Jesus rather than to Okay, now is it reasonable for Martha to be serving? Yes. It's totally reasonable to serve. We're always asked to serve, right? So it can't be that Jesus is saying don't serve. Yeah, it must have been unclear. So what, what is it? What do we see in Mary's heart here? What's the key thing that we see in Mary's heart that you think is being pointed out? What? And he, he said, I think, I'm not, I think what Wally said is right. What is it? It's a priority. It's a priority. Okay, a priority. What is Martha's priority? Martha's, uh, well, yeah, Mary's, Mary's priority is to listen to the Lord. What's Martha's priority? There's nothing wrong with serving, though. What's the pro- what's the what's the distinction? Where, where's the? Okay, yeah. What's Martha saying? What's Martha saying to when she says? So what? Go go through all. Of, you said let's just have the, a, a female response here. So what is what's Martha thinking to herself? Give give me her thought process. Yeah, yeah. So huh? Yeah. What? So I'm doing all this stuff. I'm working, and I'm not being appreciated, right? I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm not being appreciated. Where's my appreciation? If they appreciated me, they would at least blank, right? In this case, come help, okay? So who's being focused on? Yeah, can you identify with that? This is is a female version of me, what Herman calls my, my me flashing, Okay, and, and Mary is too absorbed in listening to what Jesus says to notice. So I, I think what we're, what we're seeing here is that what Mary had is an ability to focus on Jesus instead of me. I, I, I think we can say with confidence that Mary knew how to do all the stuff Martha was doing. Else she would have said, please stay in there and don't, leave, don't come in the kitchen. Like they did to Terry. Right? They wouldn't let you in the kitchen, right? Yeah. It's kind of ironic since she's a renowned cook. But when she was young, it was like, don't, you just make a mess. Don't come in here. So, okay, so she, she obvious, obviously was saying, yeah, I want you to help. It's not, it's not that she wasn't capable. It's not that she didn't do it routinely. It's that there was something more important right here. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take away from her her ability to focus on what's more important rather than focusing on herself. Pretty valuable life lesson. 
So, we've got these three women, these three Marys. What are they rebelling against? If, if, if Mary means rebellion, and God used that name uh, to tell us something, and we want to answer the question, what are they rebelling against? What would Mary the mom be rebelling against? Herself. Her, her own, yeah, her own kind of uh, reputation in the community. Society. Society. I mean, the society says you shouldn't do this. And she said, I'm going to do it anyway because God asked me to. How about Mary Magdalene? What's she rebelling against? Comfort. Comfort. What was it? Wealth. Wealth. Yeah, yeah, the society. I'm supposed to behave this way because I have a lot of money. No. Walk through the villages. How about, how about Mary, uh, the Martha sister? What'd she rebel against? Yeah, <laughs> she she's saying, look, sometimes tasks are just not the most important thing. And what my sister thinks of me, you know. And of course, Martha, Martha, you, you can just imagine, she probably tried shooting her looks. She probably tried, uh, you know, the tone in the voice. She probably tried all her normal button pushing thing, like all sisters have, right? And finally, she, we, the only part we get reported is, Jesus, will you tell her to get in here and help me? <laughs> Which is according to accusation of Jesus too, right? And don't we do that? Jesus, Art, Art you need to hurry up and get... Art, are you asleep up there? Don't you realize what's happening here? We need your, we need your attention. Well, so if we can if we can take this Miriam, this leader of the nation, and take these three women and say, you know, whatever circumstances you ask me to do, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll embrace it. Be it to me, your handmaid. And if we can take the wealth that we have and say, you want it, it's yours. Comfort, what? Whenever you're ready for it, I'll, I'll give it. And if we can take the me orientation and say, you know, whatever my tasks are, whatever my preoccupation is, I'll set that aside anytime you need me to sit at your feet. I think we'd do really well, don't you? God, I thank you for these great women uh, that you gave us as examples. Pray that you'll help us learn from those and to be inspired to follow the same great example of faith that they followed. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. Okay, there's a church in town.